Lord, I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for uh, Mother's Day. I thank you for, for my mom and the many moms, God, that, that you have, have blessed us with in our lives. God, for the faithful prayers and love, God, that, that they have poured out on us. And so we just want to recognize that this morning, God, that we are blessed, God, by moms. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we turn the, the page in your word in Acts, God, I pray that you would open us up to your word. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would uh, show us, God, what you want us to learn. I pray that, uh, God, that you would make the, the word of God come alive in our hearts. Um, God, that your spirit would, would teach and guide and open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the book of Acts. If, you, uh, if you're just joining us, um, we've been going through the book of Acts this year, and we're trying to do a book a year. So we're, we're going to do Acts in the, um, in the s winter, spring. We'll take a break in the summer. We'll come back in the fall. And so we end up being in Acts 8 this morning. And like we've said in the past, the, the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. It represents the time when the Holy Spirit just poured through God's church, and, and we see the church being born and moving, and just the power that it had coming out of the gate after Jesus sent his church into the world. It just took off because of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're at the beginning of chapter 8, and we're coming to a really pivotal moment in the history of the church. And this is a moment where the church experienced a ton of pain as a community, a lot of pain. But it's also a moment where they experienced exponential growth. You see pain and growth go together in the life of the church. This is actually the moment that the gospel started to spread everywhere. And so this morning we're going to talk about pain and purpose. Uh, our pain, our purpose, right? Uh, what how God actually uses our pain. And uh, even though it might be helpful in the long run, nobody likes pain in the present, I think. Maybe some people do. I don't. I don't like pain in the moment. And I experienced this um, when I was hired on at Rebound. And if you're not familiar with Rebound, it's a nonprofit here in town. It works with kids and families with behavioral health. And um, so I was hired on at Rebound, believe it or not, to be their director. Uh, I know nobody's shocked. I'm surprised. You should be shocked. See, I had no experience ever working for a nonprofit. Um, churches don't count. It's a totally different animal. Um, they, like they said, okay, a lot of our income comes from grants. And I said, okay, that's great. What's a grant? I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, I had no behavioral health experience, nothing. I had no management experience. And so it came into this role, it was like being baptized by fire. He said, okay, here's the keys, take the car, don't drive it into the lake, you know. And, and so I got to tell you, the, the work was rewarding, but man, that was the most pressure-packed experience year of my life, stepping into that role. I felt it every day. I felt out of my depth. Uh, I felt... Uh, I felt the weight of the stress. I got stress sweat for the first time. It's a real thing. You can look it up. It's, uh, it doesn't smell good. I'll just say that much. But I was just exhausted. I was exhausted. And, you know, as stressful as that experience was, I'm really thankful for it. I'm really thankful for that experience because it helped me grow. It, it helped me grow as a leader. Uh, 
help me grow in relationship, to help me understand what some people go through. Um, we were working with a lot of kids and families who'd been through abuse and addiction, and, and so it just gave me a bigger understanding of, of where people were coming from. And I know that God used it to grow me up in a lot of ways where I needed to be grown up. I needed to be challenged. And so I'm thankful for that season of my life. But today as we come to Acts 8, we're going to ask this question. What can we learn from the early church about responding to pain and pressure? What can we learn from the early church about responding to pain and pressure in our lives? Because the truth is, God is going to use pain in your life. God is going to use pressure in your life. And so how can we as Christ followers best respond to that? What might God be doing through that pressure, through that pain in our lives? And so we're going to pick up right where we left off last week uh, after the death of Stephen. If you were with us last week, we went through Acts 6 and 7 together because it describes the martyrdom of Stephen. He's the first uh, person in the church who, who after, after Jesus, right, who lays down his life uh, for, for Jesus. And so Stephen is this picture of abundant life. If you are with us last week, we talked about how he was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power. He was performing signs and wonders, uh, healings. Demons were being cast out, like God was just using Stephen. And then the religious leaders conspired to put him to death. And after arguing and, and, and uh, being embarrassed by Stephen, they rose up against him, and they, they trumped up some charges, and they took him outside the temple, and they stoned him. And uh, at this event, there's one young religious leader named Saul who is holding the coats uh, of his peers so they could pick up rocks and hurl them at Stephen. And so that's right where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up at Acts 8, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. We're going to stop there. So what we see is you would think things would let up a little bit after Stephen dies, and what you see is that actually the trouble is just beginning for the church. You think that this event, this death of someone everyone loved would be enough for the church to deal with, but instead it, it inspires this young uh, religious zealot named Paul to, or Saul, later Paul, uh, I don't want to give anything away there, but uh, he whipped up into a frenzy, and he just He's, he attacks these Christian families. He rips them out of their homes, he, and he throws them in prison. And the word that the text uses is ravages. He's ravaging the church. It doesn't really get to the, the meat of the word. Um, it's a very vivid word in Greek that describes when another animal actually rips the flesh off of another animal. So a better word would be mauling. It's like Paul was like a bear who was mauling the church. And so you can imagine what kind of stress and pressure the church was under. So it, it says great persecution. The word in Greek is mega, like greatest of great, mega persecution. 
And then it also uses the word mega to describe the lamentation that the church was experiencing. It's the only place in scripture where the word lamentation is used. Lamentation meaning like great grief, like an outpouring of grief. And they're experiencing this lamentation over the death of Stephen. So here you have a church that's experiencing uh, mega persecution and mega lamentation. You know, and if, if you try to put yourself in that scenario, I think a lot of us would have trouble, me included, relating to that situation, right? Mega, um, mega lamentation, maybe, right? Like we've all had grief in our lives. We've all had loss. Um, but persecution might be a harder one for us to relate to. Uh, probably none of us have been, like, taken from our homes because of our faith. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Um, but unless you lived through a war, unless you lived through the Holocaust, like, you haven't experienced the depth of persecution that the church was feeling right now. This is community grief, community trauma. And so what does the church do in this situation? I just want to set the stage for, okay, now what, church? Now that, now that you're facing the pressure, you're facing the pain, what do you do? They scatter. It says they scatter. They run. They all go to other towns nearby except for the apostles. The apostles stay. They care for the city. They care for the church. They stay. Everyone else runs. Um, and then look what happens, though. They didn't just run and hide. Look what happens, starting in verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And I love this last line. So there was much joy in that city. So you see mega persecution, mega lamentation. The result is joy in another place. Much joy. I really find this passage amazing, right? The, what the Holy Spirit can do through his church, even in the midst of pain. That, that the church in Jerusalem is being attacked day after day. They're under duress all the time. And that turns into joy and salvation and healing in the town of Samaria. And it has all to do with how the church responded to that pain and pressure. That's why it's so important for us to see what Paul is saying here, how they responded to pain and pressure. Because it says, now those who scattered went about preaching the word. Because when they, fl when they fled, when they fled for their lives— like, they weren't fleeing their calling. They weren't fleeing what God had asked them to do. They weren't fleeing all of that. They weren't hiding. What were they doing? They were looking for the next opportunity. Okay, God, what is the next opportunity? If not here in Jerusalem, then where? And they didn't run to a place that was quiet and comfortable. They ran to the next big town, Samaria. If you know, you know about Samaria in the New Testament, it doesn't have a good reputation in the New Testament. Samaria is this place that is looked down on by Jerusalem. Like, it's the underdog town, man. Um, and, 
you might remember Jesus preached about the Good Samaritan and how shocking that was, right, to the rest of, of the Jews. It's because Sam Samaria represented the old northern kingdom that um, was way less obedient to God than the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was. And when they split, the Assyrian Empire spread them out all over um, the Middle East. And because of that, they weren't a true line, right? They had been all over and kind of intermingled with the nations. And so they were always looked down on. And so because Jerusalem slams the door on the gospel, Samaria is the next place to take off. And I love that because the door closed for the disciples there, um, they just went right to work on the next, the next place. They, they didn't stop what they were doing. They, they didn't turn on God. They kept going, and they kept going to the next place. And as I read this, I couldn't help but thinking about how many, like in our COVID season, just the church in general, how many obstacles and challenges the church has faced over the last year and a half, right? Like, it, our, our stress is not the same. Like, let's just get that out there, right? It's not the same. But we've still been under pressure. We've still been under duress. So if you've been trying to stay faithful and, and trying to press into God and trying to continue to serve, like, I just want to thank you for, for doing that, to keeping resolve even when the road has been bumpy, because things have not been perfect. But often when we bump into a season in our lives where there's a lot of pain, where there's a lot of stress, it's really tempting to, like, want to give up, right? Like, okay, I just want to give up. And, you know, one thing for me that I'm hearing a lot of uh, in the state of Washington and beyond, there's a lot of pastors that are, are leaving their churches because the road has gotten so bumpy, so tough, so much to navigate. Cultures change. Life is disrupted. People are mad, right? People are frustrated. And, you know, in my heart of hearts, I hope that it's just God stirring the pot, right? Stirring the pot for revival. Stirring the pot like, okay, we're all— Okay, we're all uncomfortable now. We're all in this thing, but, you know, the winds of change are coming. I'm bringing revival. And I pray that that's what this season is. But I pray that, that we don't succumb to anger, frustration, distrust, because uh, that has only led to division and hurt in the church. What we need to see from the early church is that they weren't defensive, right? They weren't defensive. They didn't react defensively. They looked for opportunity. They looked for the next opportunity. They said, okay, God, then what? What do you have for us? Not Jerusalem. Where next? Okay, Samaria. I don't really like that town, but sure. If that's where you're going, I'll go. So the mission didn't change. The surroundings changed. The circumstances changed. Everything else changed. The mission did not change. They kept on God's mission because we need to own deep in our lives who God has made us to be and what he's called us to do because God has made us uniquely to serve a unique purpose in the mission that he has created. Now, one thing I just want to say is that doesn't mean that God is ignoring your suffering. God isn't the coach that said, okay, chin up, just go, run, you know, fight through it. Like when you roll an ankle, just keep running, you know. I, I don't see God necessarily doing that. But what, what's the promise throughout Scripture? Like if you, there's this thread throughout Scripture that every time um, obedience for, for, uh, for a God follower is hard, um, every time they run into trouble, 
the promise of God is, I am with you. The promise of God is, I am with you. Even in the dark days, even in the hurt, even in the mess, the promise of God is that I am with you. And he said this before he left earth, and he, he uh, gave his disciples this mission that I'm talking about. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. This is the first time in Scripture where he tags that word always onto the end of the verse. I gave you this task, but don't worry. I am with you always to the end of the age. So God's main promise to you in your pain isn't that he's going to fix everything. Uh, isn't that he's going to make it all go away. God's main promise in your pain is that he is with you. God's main promise in your pain is that he is with you in your pain, that he suffers alongside of you, and it's actually in our pain where we often experience the nearness of God more than ever. More than ever. It's in the grief, it's in the trial. And why is that? Because our God suffered for us. Jesus is intimately acquainted with suffering and grief. We know that he didn't just take our sins on the cross. We know in Isaiah it says that he bore our sorrows, right? He bore our pain, our grief. So he did bear our sin, but he also bore our grief and our pain. And there are times when, when God heals and God restores, and we rejoice in those times, right? Because God does fix things. He doesn't fix things all the time. And so uh, there are times when God just pulls us close. I'm pretty sure I've already told this story, so if you've heard it, you can check out for one minute. But last year— <laughs> Yeah, take a break. Take a breather, get some water, refreshment, intermission. Uh, so last year, um, my, I, was, I was home with my three kids. Uh, my wife was at work. And, and lo and behold, the day my wife is at work, my youngest son, Eli, just erupts with pain. Like, I, he, I don't know where the pain's coming from. He just can't stop crying. And I'm like, oh, uh, today of all days, the one day Bonnie works, you know, because <laughs> she would have handled it way better than me. Uh, but no, I took all three kids. We went to the ER to find out what was going on with Eli's pain. And the, the, the hardest moment of that trip was uh, putting the IV in. You know, that freaks a, a four-year-old out, right? Like, that's uncomfortable. And I remember that. Like, I, I, can't, I can't say, no, he doesn't need it. He needed it. But I could hold him, right? I could, I could hold him and comfort him and say, it's okay, it's okay, you're going to be fine. And he was, he was okay. And by the way, his pain was from constipation. So, um, you know, it's one of those lessons as a parent. Like, okay, next time I'm going to try some lemon juice or something before we go. But uh, just a life lesson. For those of you who don't have kids yet, try lemon juice. Um, but uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, but the only way that these followers of Jesus— could, could possibly go through what they went through is knowing that he was with them. He was with them, you know, and they keep going. And the, the people who preach, they preach. And the people who serve, they serve. And, and the, the one person that singles out is this guy named Philip in, uh, in Scripture. Philip was one of the, one of the seven guys who was um, 
basically sent or uh, commissioned with Stephen. So it goes Stephen and then Philip. So we see Stephen have this huge impact, and now it's Philip's turn. And what we see is that Philip is the one who steps up in Samaria, and he starts preaching. And it says everybody was hungry, you know, basically. Everyone was, like, ready. They all listened in one accord, it said. So all the eyes were glued. It's like one of those powerful speeches that, like, if your cell phone goes off, you're in serious trouble. It's never happened here, by the way, but uh, no, I'm kidding. But it's like if, uh, you know, it's just it's everybody's glued to what Philip is saying. And they heard his words, and they, they saw him cast out demons and heal, and they believed in Jesus. There was a massive uh, coming to Jesus in that city, and that's why it says so much joy, or much joy, came to the city. Made me think that the church's pain is the city's gain. You know, our pain, it translated into the city gaining because they were under the gun, but they were willing to sacrifice and keep the mission ahead, and the city gained from that. And I don't, I know that God isn't a formula, right? I know that God, it, it's, it's, he doesn't always work like a, a formula, but I just wanted to share this pattern that I see throughout Scripture. If you wanted to kind of synthesize everything I'm saying into a few words, uh, it would be this. It's that pain plus faith equals spiritual growth. That's it. Pain plus faith equals spiritual growth. So if you want to grow spiritually, don't fight and kick and, and, and be angry and give up on God in the middle of the storm, but just trust him. Just trust him. Just trust him. Because when the church meets pain with faith, the result is spiritual growth. It's spiritual growth, both personally and in the community. And I know this can be a hard thing to do. We all have this, uh, we all have this uh, instinct called fight or flight, right? And when we run into painful situations, we want to escape, we want to run, uh, we want to fly, or we want to fight. We want to get that control back somehow. And so we all fight that. And um, our tendency is not to trust. Our tendency is not, not to trust God, say it's okay. Uh, no, there are moments where we have to choose to trust. It's not always clockwork, right? We have to choose to trust Jesus. We have to pray, be honest with God. God, life isn't fun right now. Uh, God, I am hurting. Uh, God, I know you put me here, but I'm feeling a little overwhelmed right now. But God, I still choose to trust. I still choose to trust you. Uh, even in the middle of this, I know that I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I know I have a place at your table. Um, I know you've given me everything I need to do what you you want me to do, but just help me to choose to trust you in this season. And so these are the two questions that I want you to ask in, in hard times, is who has God made you to be? Do you know who God has made you to be? And what has God called you to do? Because we need to remind ourselves when we come into these seasons that we are first and foremost, children of God, His, disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ, and that with that, he has given us a mission, right? He's given us a task. He's wired us to serve his kingdom uh, exactly who he made us to be in a specific way. 
And so the more clarity you have on those two questions, the better off you will be when the, when the, uh, when the season gets tougher. And know that when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's not just saying that just to you alone, that you're the lone ranger that's going to win the world to Christ. No, he gave you a church, too. He, he aligns you with other uh, disciples who have different gifts and talents and ministries so that he might be complete. You alone aren't the body of Christ. We together are the body of Christ. So remember who God has called you to be and remember what God has called you to do. Because what we see is that through the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, there's this whole movement that, that spreads. Uh, we see Samaria is ready uh, to, to receive the word of God and grow through that. And the passage then goes into the specific story of Philip and a man named Simon. And uh, we don't have a lot of time to get into this story with Simon today. You can read it at home later if you want. But Simon is a magician uh, in the town. Like he's got some sort of mystic arts, like dark kind of power about him. And so people who are looking for God look at this guy and say, okay, he's, he's the guy. He's who we need to follow. Um, this is what it says in verse 10. It says, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And so telling you this story is only that the power that the town looked to before knelt to the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, there's nothing that can top the Holy Spirit. And every town has its idols, and no idols are more powerful than God at work in his people. And so that's what you see in this passage, is this guy who everybody thought was the closest thing to God they had, uh, they abandoned him when they saw the real thing. When they saw the Holy Spirit in Philip, they instantly forgot about Simon. And uh, you see that like, he has some trouble, too. Like, he comes to Jesus, and, and uh, you know, he, he believes, but then he asks if he can buy the Holy Spirit. There's just a, and, and basically, Peter, who's there, uh, he says, uh, no, you can take your money and, and send it to hell, is it literally what he says. So, you know, I love the, uh, the boldness of the, uh, the early church, too. So, uh, love that. Anyways, anyways, um, I just want to ask you this morning— what pain or pressure in your life right now do you need help trusting God with? What pain or pressure do you need help trusting Jesus with right now? And if it helps, write it down. Leave a mental note. And I know that probably most of us aren't facing what they're facing here, but we are experiencing some level of pressure in our lives, whether that comes from family uh, or work or um, a, you know, a situation that, that we don't control. And just remember that as we follow Jesus, the promise isn't that he will remove all the pain and pressure from our lives. That we don't follow Jesus because it's a cakewalk, because it's easy. Uh, we follow Jesus because we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He's the way, the truth, the life. If you don't believe that, you're going to have a real hard time following Jesus. You're going to have a real hard time when, when he— uh, when 
following God's kingdom if you're not willing to make Jesus your king, right? If you're not willing to hand Jesus the keys over every part of your life. And um, surrender is not easy, but surrender is especially not easy when it deals with pain. And I just want to share this story as we close. Because I know there are times in our lives when pain can really knock us out. And I had a a Bible professor um, who had a daughter that when she was 14, she was uh, racing on the high school track, and she had a fatal heart attack and and died. And uh, is this huge media story. Um, Thousands came to her funeral, and he was just wrecked. And he told our class that uh, when his daughter died, that he basically had to shut out the world for three years. Like, couldn't couldn't talk to anybody, couldn't um, function, and he wrestled with God for three years. Um, but he kept, sh- had kept going to church. He said he kept going before God every Sunday and worshiping him. Um, he went back and taught eventually. He kept going. He kept using his gifts. And God eventually, actually, he led them to adopt later in life. Um, but he wrote a book uh, called Hope for the Brokenhearted. And God used his story to speak to others as they experience sorrow. And I love the title of the first chapter in that book, because I think it's an honest question. Um, The the title of the first chapter in the book is, Will Faith Survive? Will Faith Survive? That was the question that he wrestled with. Will my faith survive this season? Will my faith survive this loss? Will my faith survive? survive this pain. And I just want to share you the encouragement that he wrote um, when uh, when he wrote this book. This is from his book. He said, When a crisis of faith edges you near the brink of despair and unbelief, enter again into God's sanctuary to worship. And there, embrace anew both God himself and his true eternal perspectives on life true eternal perspective on life that could be called God's kingdom embrace the love of God and the kingdom of God come back to the place of worship and be with God because God is with you and one day like it says in Revelation 21 God is going to wipe every tear from your eyes but until that day we keep the kingdom in front God has made you for his kingdom for his mission God has given you that task, and he loves you as a son or a daughter. And so maybe this week, chew on, God, what's my pain? Where do I need to trust you? What do I need to give to you? But then also, what's my opportunity? God, what's my Samaria? Where are you calling me? What are you calling me to in this next season? Is it more time with my family? Am I raising my kids to know Jesus well? Uh, Is it being more outspoken about Jesus at work or serving those at my workplace? Is there a ministry you're calling me to? Believe me, if there's a ministry you're interested in, just come talk to me. Got plenty of opportunity. We're a lean, mean machine right now, so I'd love to talk to you. Um, But church, this week, first, share your pain with God. Trust him with the stress of each day. Let it be the first thing that you do in the morning. It's just, God... Here's what I'm dealing with. Help me to see the opportunity in this day that you've given me. And then ask God, where is my opportunity? God, where are you leading me? What are you calling me to? 
What purpose do you have for me today? Let's pray. God, we, uh, we come before you today, and uh, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, help us to see your love when it's hard, when it's hard to see your love. God, I pray you'd help us to see your kingdom and what you're doing, uh, even when it, it's a little fuzzy. God, help us to have faith, Lord. Help us to respond to our pain in faith. God, so that we might grow spiritually, that we might not just grow for our own good, but that we might grow closer to you, that we might be more like Jesus, that we might live more like Jesus, that we might love more like Jesus, um, that we might raise our families like you, um, God, that we might uh, love our neighbors like you want us to love our neighbors, God, that we might give grace to people the way that you gave grace to people, um, God, that, that, that we might be a light in the darkness, that we might be a city on a hill, just like you were. Jesus, we know that you suffered. Lord, we know that you suffered. We know that you know about pain, that you didn't remove yourself from pain, physical pain, emotional pain. You didn't remove yourself from any of that, but no, you entered right into it. And that is the incredible good news of the gospel, that you didn't keep pain at arm's length away, but you entered right into it. You met us right where you needed to meet us in order to accomplish your will. So we praise you, Jesus, because we don't suffer alone. We don't suffer for a God who doesn't know pain. God, we, you know pain. You know pain. And you know what's on our hearts, God. You, you know us intimately. And so I just pray, Jesus, that you would help us. Uh, help us to live for you. God, help us to uh, whatever that next step we need to take uh, in trusting you, the obedient step that you're calling us to, whether that's laying something down, whether that's taking something on, whatever that is, that you just make that very clear to us. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.